Welcome to episode 35 of the Encouragers United podcast. You know, stress is a feeling of emotional or physical tension. It can come from any event or thought that makes you feel frustrated, angry, or nervous. Stress is our body's reaction to a challenge or a demand. In short bursts, stress can be positive, such as when it helps you avoid danger or meet a deadline. But stress over chronic periods of time can be very detrimental to both our emotional and mental health as well as our physical health. Today, Dr. Jared Detter and I explore many topics, including the stress responses, emotional intelligence, and why we think and do what we do when we're facing anxiety, anger, or any host of other emotions. I really appreciate Jared's teaching ability here. He's calm, collected, and he's a master communicator. He explains some things to me in a wonderful way, and I hope you gain from his insight in our conversation here on the Encouragers United Podcast. Hello, my name is Charlie Grimes, and I'm the founder and the host of the Encouragers United Podcast. My intent with this project is first and foremost to encourage the encouragers, those special people in this world who, because of their experiences and their personality, are relentlessly positive and enthusiastic about all areas of life. They show up on the Myers-Briggs Personality Index as ENFPs, their Enneagram 7s, and Disc Profile Influencers. We are the encouragers. We're gifted by God to see ways to exhort and build others up. We're often action-oriented, creative, extroverted, flexible, and we work hard. We find ourselves in leadership positions like teaching and coaching, pastoring and mentoring. Another goal of the podcast is to explain to the rest of the world how we think and why we react the way we do to stress and conflict. Through teaching, discussion, idea sharing, and personal interviews, I hope you'll gain new insight, learn to be patient with yourself and with others, and to grow more self-aware through this content. I would ask that if you see value in this effort, identify the most encouraging, positive person you know and let them know about me. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or my website, charlesrgrimes.com. It's a great day to be alive, so go make a difference today. Well, hello, encouragers. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have a special treat for us. Uh, My good friend, a former student athlete of mine, and uh, a wonderful leader, Jared Detter, is on the show. Hello, Jared. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome to reconnect with you. Our history, basically, Jared uh, started at Malone back in about 1997. I heard about you. I looked at you. I saw you run one day, I think, and I said, hmm, this kid's put together, and I think I know exactly what will be the wonderful challenge that I'll give to him. And so uh, Jared is actually one of the first young men that I ever introduced to the decathlon. And uh, so there is a special uh, fraternity of those of us who have run that event, Jared. And uh, But I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm, I want you to just introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your family and what you've done with life in the last uh, 
you know, 25 years since you and I were, were friends. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I was started Malone in 1997, like you said, and uh, I knew I was going to be a psychology major. So uh, all four years worked toward my psychology bachelor's degree and graduated in 2001. And uh, because I knew that I wanted to go into psychology, I went right into graduate school, uh, got my master's degree in 2003 in psychology and got my doctoral degree in clinical psychology in 2006. Um, so basically, uh, for the last 14 years, I've been practicing psychology in one way or another. Uh, primarily, that's been in a therapy setting. People have come to me and, and done some counseling, whether it's been anxiety, depression, or stress management, or um, job stress, or parenting issues, or uh, marriage issues, you know, that kind of the uh, most of the things that a lot of people deal with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis in their life. But for some folks, it just becomes a little bit more impactful and they feel like they need to get some help from an outside professional. And so uh, that's that's what I've done. That's primarily been in the Air Force setting. I was an active duty member in the Air Force for four years and went back a number of years later as a contractor on an Air Force base. And I've also done that working with police officers and their family members for the San Antonio Police Department. Um, a more recent development, I would say, uh, in my life is uh, career so far is that I've been doing um, some organizational consulting as well. I did that full time for a number of years in the Northern Virginia area and uh, am, am trying to get back more full time into that now that I've moved into Canton. Uh, and uh, by the way, my Talking about family, my wife is from Canton. Uh, she went to Perry High School. Her four siblings graduated from Perry High School. Her grandfather graduated from Perry High School. So uh, she has roots in this area and most of her family is still here. And so we've recently relocated here and uh, I'm gonna be doing some organizational consulting as well as, as therapy. So uh, those are the kind of the two fronts where I do my work is, is helping companies become more effective through better leaders and teams and also helping individuals in their lives through therapy. Man, that's great. And uh, you and Rachel are uh, parents to three boys, right? Three Why don't you mention them for us? Yes, Luke is 13. Uh, Justice, which is a biblical name, J-U-S-T-U-S, uh, is 11 and Micah is four. Awesome. Wow. They keep you busy. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's great. Hey, wonderful to reconnect with you. Thanks so much. I, I really, you know, anytime a podcaster gets the chance to have uh, a guest on with your credentials and your experience, uh, especially at a time like this, uh, it's such a treat. And because I know our listeners are all in many ways facing the stress uh, of the world as it is today. And so what I wanted to do is just first ask you, throw you out a question. I think, um, you know, you, you don't have to look very far today in, in with the virus, uh, COVID-19. Um, in fact, here in Ohio, we were just, you know, handed sort of a, a mandate to wear masks in public today, uh, starting today. Um, we've kind of been on a roller coaster as a nation with regard to the economy and then the racial, you know, racial unrest and the, the um, you know, the incident there in Minnesota and uh, just, just the politics and the, the, the disagreements and it, it's just caused a ton of stress. And I, from a, from a psycho, a psychological standpoint, I'm wondering if you might explain to us just the, the, what you've seen and what you know of how people respond to threat, to these threats, to this stress. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I know that sometimes my wife thinks I was an expert in electrical work or plumbing or, you know, something useful around the house. But um, unfortunately for my wife, I'm an expert in how people think and behave. So I may not be very useful around the house, but I do have insight into um, how the mind works and um, how people respond to things, both good and bad. And so my, my goal here uh, today, obviously, is just to uh, give people a little bit of insight into how we react to these type of stressful situations and maybe a few ideas on how to become uh, a better person, a better leader in the midst of them. So I think you're starting off on, uh, at the right place. What, what essentially happens to us when we're under stress? And um, COVID-19, all of the racial unrest, all the political maneuvering that goes on in our society absolutely causes stress in people's lives um, for many, many different reasons. I mean, with COVID-19, you have people who are at-risk populations. Uh, they may have some underlying medical conditions. They may have something like chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, which means that they're not able to breathe very well. And the last thing they need is a, is a uh, disease that causes breathing problems. And so there's stress for those folks. There's stress for people who have lost their job or placed on furlough or all of these things. Um, there's the minority population in our country that are looking at some of these uh, examples of police brutality or all of these things that, or maybe they feel like they don't have a voice during times like this. And so um, I think what, what uh, is probably the most obvious thing I'm going to say today, <laughs> which will resonate with everybody and their experiences that we are not typically our best selves when we're under stress. Um, and that's an important lesson, although everybody knows that we're typically not um, paying that much attention uh, to ourselves when we're under stress and the fact that we're not necessarily our best. So when we, just from a very general perspective, uh, when we're feeling stressed or when we feel like there's a threat, uh, we react with what's called the fight or flight response. And I'm sure everybody here uh, ha has heard of that before. And, and basically what that means is our, our God has created our mind um, to protect us when we feel like we're under threat. Now, historically speaking, if I were in a loincloth in the savannah of Africa and I had my spear and I heard a growl behind me, um, that's, that's going to kick in. I'm either going to throw my spear and kill that lion, or I'm going to be lunch for that lion. Either way, uh, my, my brain is preparing me uh, to either run away or, or to fight and hopefully survive another day. What's interesting about that is that if I survive, then the threat is over. I've survived. I, I'm, I'm a hero of my tribe, and we've got this lion that we're going to you know, mount the head on a spike and show how awesome we are. The threat is over. Um, that's not how threats work in our modern environment. Threats are not these discrete threats that come and we resolve it and then it's all done afterwards. If you think about it, you wake up in the morning and you've just been laid off because of COVID-19. You don't know when your next paycheck is coming. That's yes. not a threat that resolves itself uh, in a short period of time. You're living with that. And so when we're under a threat in our modern society, or maybe it's, maybe it's a difficult marriage that you're in and you don't really know how to fix it, or maybe you have a problematic child, or maybe you are in a minority population. You're not quite sure how everything's going to shake out for you and in your people group in, in this society right now. Um, it's not a threat that resolves itself overnight. You're living with it. And so in our society, in the modern world, we're essentially living with chronic low-grade stress that from time to time spikes, like with the COVID-19 or, or with losing your job or racial unrest or political 
maneuvering that's going on in our society. So we're living with chronic low-grade stress, and it spikes from time to time. And um, we essentially uh, react in one of two ways. We, we react with the fight or the flight. The flight is basically anxious avoidance in our society. Hmm. Maybe you've locked yourself in your house since the beginning of COVID-19 and, and did not come out. Or maybe the one time that you went out, you're, you realize that this is causing you so much anxiety, you decided to buy all the toilet paper in the store yep. so you didn't have yep. to leave the house again. Um, or we react with fight. And uh, this could be in the form of social media attacks. This could be in the form of, of rioting or all these sorts of things that, that we have. And actually, uh, what I've seen in the news is uh, stores or, or restaurants or businesses, when they open back up, are put in a very difficult position if they're being forced to tell people that they have to wear masks because yeah. people react with aggression uh, in some of these places when they're told that they have to wear masks, whether that's physical aggression or verbal aggression. And so ultimately what, what we see uh, is a fight or flight response. And I, I've got some more to say about that, but um, maybe we can. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think people probably can envision, you know, themselves responding to what they're facing uh, in one of those two, one of those two ways, you know, but I agree with you that it's not just a discrete incident of stress. It's this nagging sort of low grade, um, continuous um dark cloud or this, this uh, disappointment. I think that's probably what even I'm facing. Um, you know, I'll take, I'll take my free counseling from my friend here, I guess, but, um, you know, just, it's just keeps going on and on and on. And, you know, since about mid March, we've been facing these changes and disappointments. And so, um, one thing that you and I talked about before we started here was, was, was a term that you phrased, um, or a, or a phrase that you said, a rise of emotionality, a rise of emotionality. And in both of these camps, the fight or the flight, there is this rise in emotionality. What does that mean to you? And maybe explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, interestingly, they've done some neuroimaging studies on people when they're under stress. Um, and the two parts of the brain that, that they're really focused on is, one is called the frontal lobes, and that's basically right behind your forehead, uh, back through your temples. The frontal lobe is the part of our brain that helps us see the consequences of our behavior, that help us plan things, sequence things, that help us understand uh, more complex issues. And, and one interesting thing about the frontal lobe is it's also an inhibitor is a behavioral inhibitor. And so ultimately, um, if somebody is really frustrating me and I say, you know what, I'd like to really punch them in the, in the nose right now, the frontal lobe is the part that says, you know what, that's probably not a good idea. A, that's not socially acceptable. B, you're in public, there's lots of witnesses. And C, uh, you're probably going to get arrested if you do something like that. Yeah. So let's not, let's not punch that person in the nose. That's the role of the frontal lobe. The other part of the brain, it, the emotion centers of the brain, which are more in the center of the brain, like the amygdala, the hypothalamus, those sorts of centers, are really in charge of, of emotional expression. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is those two parts of the brain are basically on one end of uh, either end of the same rope. So if you imagine like a tug of war, if, if one person is pulling on the rope and they're pulling the other person along, the other person is, is like there's less and less rope on their side of, of the pit, so to speak. And that's exactly what goes on with the energy and the metabolism of the brain between the frontal lobes and, and the emotion centers of the brain. So when we're under stress, those two parts of the brain are now competing for resources. And when we go into the fight or flight response, the, the 
the emotion centers of the brain essentially win that tug of war. And so when they do these neuroimaging studies, the frontal lobes essentially go dark and the amygdala, the hypothalamus, they light up like a Christmas tree. And so what, what's kind of fascinating about this is the frontal lobe response to stress essentially looks the same with neuroimaging as somebody who is drunk or has frontal lobe brain damage, the degree to which the frontal lobe is shut down. So if you imagine the very part of our brain that helps us think through things, see consequences of our behavior and acts as an inhibitor that says, maybe this isn't a good idea, it's not working so well. And so we're essentially gonna be engaged in behavior that is counterproductive, that is gonna be working against what we're ultimately looking to accomplish. And so when I say the rise of emotionality, not only is there emotionality, but the part of our brain that basically says, this is a good idea or not a good idea is not working so well. So that's why we see people engaging in behavior that we never would have imagined this person would engage in, whether it's uh, maybe some abusive language over, over Facebook or some sort of social media platform or, or people setting fire to a police precinct building. Yeah. Uh, when we see this, we never would have imagined a person uh, doing that. But when we are under stress uh, and when that stress is chronic and when we get triggered, the emotionality goes, the frontal lobe is shut down, and it, it's not a pretty sight Right. Well, and that's uh, on one side of the continuum in my mind is the fight, the fight response. And so this aggressive outburst or uh, like you say, uh, you know, an action on social media or even during a, a protest or a riot, we see some of this and the, the emotionality of that is, is what we need to understand. Now, the, uh, the flip side of it, though, is, is in, in, even in my work as a pastor, I'm seeing folks, the rise of emotionality that makes them fearful. And so they're fearful of almost everything. And so talk about that, the other end of the spectrum where a person might be fleeing or uh, not fighting, but they're flighting, so to speak, and the rise of emotionality yeah. in that sense. So that's a great point. Um, one thing that's interesting about anxiety is it is a self-perpetuating emotional state. So uh, what I basically mean by that is, uh, let's just say somebody's afraid of snakes. Uh, and they walk outside their house and they see a snake, they scream and they run inside their house. That's, that's what's called an avoidance response. Anxiety um, brings about a natural avoidance response. And so if I'm afraid of snakes, I walk outside of my house, I see a snake, creates anxiety, I have an avoidant response, I run back inside the house. What do you think that does to my overall anxiety levels regarding <laughs> It goes up. It goes up. And what do you think that does to my overall anxiety levels about going outside of my house? It goes up. An interesting story, and I'll tell it quickly, um, but two nights ago, uh, my wife was awoken by some rustling noise in our master bedroom about 1.30 in the morning, and she elbows me awake. I'm dead to the world. I'm kind of a, a hard sleeper, um, and she said that something's going on in our house. I'm like, what are you talking about? She goes, don't you hear that? And I said, no, I don't, and then I hear some rustling. I turn on the, the overhead light by pulling the ceiling fan chain, and then it turns out there's this little rodent in our house and oh boy. freaking out. And I don't know what the rodent is. Uh, it's got a long tail, bushy tail, but it's a small creature. I finally trap it in the, in the shower and, and get it in a bucket and release it outside. But interestingly, uh, last night, my wife's like, I'm a little bit anxious to go to sleep tonight in our bedroom. You bet. I'm afraid that there's, it turns out it was a flying squirrel. <laughs> There you go. Now, <laughs> got into our master be uh, master bedroom, um, and interestingly, I was able to record some of that and put it. Oh on boy! 
Oh boy. Um, so I did not have the anxiety reaction that my wife did, but she's expressed some trepidation about going to bed in our bedroom last night. Anxiety is something that creates a self-reinforcing avoidance response. And the more you engage in that avoidance response, the more anxiety you feel about that particular behavior. Um, and so, uh, although the, um, the fight response may have you going out and creating some sort of havoc or damage or, or harming relationships. Uh, the avoidance response creates a self-perpetuating cycle where the anxiety is only reinforced by the avoidance behavior. Right. And that is a very hard cycle for these people to break if they're not careful. Yeah, I really want to pursue that with you a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit later once we, I'm going to start asking you some, for some practical advice on that because I, I, I'm... Uh, I'm facing in my work probably with, uh, like I said, as a pastor and we as a staff and dealing with folks who are probably more so in that camp than they are out, you know, outwardly expressing themselves or like you say, um, you know, these outbursts or the fight, the fight part. It's more of an anxiety about going out uh, or an anxiety of even coming to going to the store or going to be where someone else is going to be. And the more this goes on, uh, you're right. The more I've seen that it, it sort of embeds itself even deeper and people are having a harder and harder time uh, feeling motivated to go out or, or what I believe is that they are fearful. And so, um, you know, to shift gears with you here, talk to us about the, the definition of, of uh, emotional intelligence. So there's a term out there that's, you know, there's a, an intelligence quotient, your, your IQ, but there's also uh, the emotional intelligence quotient as well. And so what's emotional intelligence to someone in your world? Yeah. So emotional intelligence is something that in the organizational context has really kind of hit its stride in the last decade or so. Uh, there's been some books that have been published that are really good at, at uh, outlining this idea. But um, the, the thing that I've noticed is if you go to a textbook definition of emotional intelligence, you're going to get a lot of words that you can understand each individual word by itself, but you're going to have a really hard time understanding the conglomeration of words that they're putting together. Um, so I've kind of created a definition for myself that's a uh, little bit more straightforward, and that's basically understanding how you impact people and understanding how they impact you and working to manage that impact that they're having on you and that you're having on them. That's the idea of, of emotional intelligence. And so um, some of the research that's been done with uh, and presented in a place like Harvard Business Review and some of these other uh, big publications is basically showing in an organizational context, um, emotional intelligence is more predictive of success than even IQ or your uh, credentials, like your degrees and things yeah. like that. Emotional intelligence, basically how you manage yourself around people uh, is extremely important. And um, Yeah, and one thing that you mentioned is that, yeah, that's a great definition. I really appreciate you sharing that is it's the, my emotional intelligence is, is understanding the impact that others have on me and the impact that I'm having on others. And But the way you phrased it, it was that there's a emotional intelligence disappearing act right now, sometimes under stress, which... I guess by your definition, you would lose uh, the management of your effect on others and lose uh, the management of others' effect on you. And so that's kind of what I see in some of the political stuff, like the uh, 
you know, just the disagreements about how to solve these problems and how to move forward. And people are just, you know, really angry and they're dis, you know, they're disagreeing, but there's this loss of management in essence of that emotional intelligence. Is that, is that kind of how that works? Yeah. So I, I want to talk uh, about a behavioral and, and, cognitive, which is like how we think cycle that we get ourselves stuck in um, that, that's related to this question of, of why does emotional intelligence essentially disappear when we're under stress. So one thing that I want to point out is essentially threats are always surrounded by ambiguity, always. So mm. COVID-19, when, when uh, the cases were starting to spike, there's ambiguity there. How is this going to impact me? Am I going to get sick? Is my family going to get sick? Who, who out there is going to expose this to me or me to this? And am, am I going to expose people to this? Is this going to impact my job? You know, oh my gosh, an NBA player, Rudy Gobert, just yep. uh, you know, in March tested positive and all of a sudden they shut down the NBA. Wow. If they can shut down the NBA that fast, when are they going to shut down my job? Right. Or, or I see people riding in my town. Is this going to, come in my direction? Are they going to burn down my place of employment or is my home going to get broken into or all of these things or, or if I'm a minority, uh, I see a police officer behind me. It, it, that's, mm. is that going to create some anxiety for me? Am I going to get pulled over and how's that going to work its way out? And so um, those are all uh, types of ambiguity. We, we, and by the way, for ambiguity is kind of a big word. People might not always understand what that means. It basically means uh, we're not really sure one way or the other how it's going to turn out. Right. We don't have all the facts. We don't have all the information. We don't know how it's going to impact us. So uh, threats are always surrounded by ambiguities. And so knowing that, let me talk a little bit about the cycle that we get ourselves into when it, um, when it comes to ambiguities. And, and this, what I'm about to say is really important. We tend to interpret ambiguities through the lens of our fears or insecurities. That's really important. And so when, when there's something in our environment that we feel is a threat and we don't understand how it's going to impact us, we tend to interpret it through our fears and insecurities. And so if, I'm, if I have a personal insecurity about not being liked and I walk into my place of employment and I see two people who are my colleagues down the hallway talking, when I walk into the hallway, they turn around and look at me, stop talking, and then walk away. If I have a personal insecurity about whether or not I'm liked, I am going to interpret that ambiguous situation as them talking about me. That's why they stopped talking when I walked down the hallway and um, they're talking about me and they don't want me to know what they're saying, which is why they stopped and walked away. If I don't have that same insecurity and I walk into the hallway and I see two people talking and then they stop and then walk away, number one, I'm probably not even going to think about it. But number two, if I do think about it, I'm going to assume that they're just done with their conversation. That's it. So we tend to interpret these ambiguities through our fears and insecurities. That's, that's really important to understand um, because the interpretation that we have is not linked to any facts whatsoever. Yep. It's our fears. And so what happens when there's an ambiguous situation, we also tend to look outside of ourselves for clarity on what these things mean. We, we, we look for guidance. You bet. Unfortunately, we only tend to seek out opinions that validate our own. So, we, we, we're forming opinions based on our fears in an ambiguous situation. We seek for guidance outside of ourselves to help understand this ambiguous situation, but we tend to seek out opinions that validates our own. This puts us in a situation where it only reinforces our own opinions. What's, <laughs> what's interesting, yeah. and, and I want this point to come across, we tend to believe people are credible 
if they believe like us, regardless of whether or not they can support their views with facts. Mm. So if you hear somebody preaching a sermon that sounds like one that you would preach, we automatically believe that they're credible. So let's back up just a second. Ambiguous situation, we respond through our fears. We seek people outside of ourselves who tend to believe the same way we do. It reinforces our opinion. Um, and it never encourages to, us to think critically. And so people have heard the idea of the, this ideological echo chamber, right? That's exactly what that yeah. is. You yeah. just find voices that sound like our own, and those, rein, those voices reinforce our own thoughts. So what's interestingly is those ideological echo chambers not only reinforce our own thinking, but it, it helps us create a sense of contempt for people who believe differently than us. And so this contempt means that we interact with other people who disagree with us in one of two ways. Number one, we have an anger-based approach to trying to change their mind. And spoiler alert, that doesn't work. Yeah, it often doesn't. That doesn't yeah, work. Yeah. And the second one is we completely dismiss them. If they cancel. Believe, yeah, we right? cancel them. Cancel yeah. Unfriended yep. you because you've made a political statement that I don't agree with. Mm. And then we turn back to our own group to heal our pride through shared contempt. Mm. Right. And so there is no element of that that involves emotional intelligence. There is yes. no element of that when we're yelling at somebody over Facebook that says, am I managing this in a way that's actually going to impact that person like I want it to? And actually, we're, we're undermining our influence with that person when we're yelling at them on Facebook. We're undermining our influence with that person when we, when we do the cancel culture stuff by, by unfriending them or blocking them from our Twitter account or something like yeah. that. So, um, I, I, think you, I think you've just described the existence of several network media outlets, right? Because <laughs> we either watch one or we watch a, another. And, and uh, because of that, uh, that system that's in place for us, uh, it, it, it does, in fact, work that way. So that's so insightful. I really appreciate this. Let's turn the corner here now, and I want you to, to uh, give us some practical advice for, first, let's, let's, uh, let's start with maybe the obvious one. In, in a person who is just so upset in, the, in what we've just described in the, the loss of their you know, uh, activity in the frontal lobe, so to speak, and they, and they are a fighter. They, they've, con- they've confronted folks, they've gotten angry, they're just kind of cantankerous. We may even have, you know, somebody in our family that way or you know but but if you're if you're feeling that passion and that emotion take over and win the tug of war so to speak give us some practical advice for that we find ourselves in this situation and we just what do i do how do i handle this right so there's an there's a number of things um there's what what we want to do is essentially re-engage the frontal lobe uh for folks we we want to re-engage the part of the brain that helps us think critically and um, can start sapping some of the energy from the emotion centers of the brain. Um, One thing that that research has almost uniformly shown is not only present in people who have uh, overall good mental health, um, but is very predictive if you're struggling with your mental health in getting better as far as your mental health. Uh, And that's doing good things for other people. And so, getting into this mindset of service, uh, doing a random act of kindness, because yep. ultimately what I, what I want to point out 
is that cycle that I that I just talked about. That is um, completely fueled by a need to overcome ambiguity through certainty. There you go. Yep. Completely fueled, and and I I cannot blame people for. I cannot blame people for wanting to overcome ambiguity with certainty. Uh, that's part of our, our nature. We work to minimize ambiguity. We don't like it mm-hmm. um, because it's associated with threat. And so we work to minimize ambiguity through certainty. Um, but certainty in the midst of ambiguity, by definition, is founded on opinion, not fact. So certainty without facts thrives best through superiority. Uh, in other words, if you stay humble, you short circuit that cycle. Yep. One of the best ways to stay humble is to serve people, yeah. is to be good for people. So it, when you're going to Walmart and, you, and you're frustrated, they're asking you to uh, to wear a mask. Uh, instead of kind of stomping around the store being in a foul mood, find an opportunity where you can do something good for in there. If, if somebody is looking for something, but uh, they can't seem to find it, uh, and say, hey, what are you looking for? Or maybe I can help you find it or find an employee that can help you find it. Or somebody drops some money and they don't know it and pick it up and hand the money back. And, um, you know, interestingly, uh, the other day I was uh, at the office and somebody was coming downstairs struggling with a heavy bag. And I just asked if I could help them carry that bag down the stairs. And it's just a simple act. But And I wasn't having a bad day, but even something like that helps make me feel better. Um so uh, staying humble, uh, doing acts of service for people, even just random acts of kindness uh, is, is a major way uh, that if you can get into that mindset, uh, will completely short circuit that superiority-based, opinion-based, fight or flight, need to conquer ambiguity through certainty uh, cycle. Mm. Oh, that's a great piece of advice. And, and yeah, I mean, that we need to make that a regular discipline and a regular habit to think of others. Um, yeah. How about a few words of encouragement for those that might be on the other end and, and this, um, you know, fleeing and uh, withdrawal from society is in, in really based in fear or anxiety and that cycle that they may be in. What, what might you say to them? So what's interesting about anxiety is anxiety is an entirely self-centered emotion. Again, that, that is mm-hmm. not to place blame. It's not to uh, make people feel bad when they when they feel anxious because anxiety is 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 uh, a common feeling across all humanity, right? It's, it's a shared sure. affliction sure. across people, uh, but anxiety gets very self-centered. We, our 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 sight, not not our physical sight, but sort of our emotional sight, gets turned completely inward and focused on ourselves. And so, I think one of the best ways to overcome some of that anxiety is to find ways to to invest in other people. Now, you might mm-hmm. you might ask how that's different than than being humble and doing an act of service. Um, doing doing an act of service for somebody is is sure it's investing in them, but that's that's not a consistent type of investment in, in somebody. So. If you're feeling anxious and, and you're inside the house, maybe you haven't left it in several months, um, I think finding a couple of people in your network who might be struggling as well and calling them and saying, hey, how are you doing during that? What can I do for you? Mm. Um, I know that I'm maybe not leaving the house right now, but but maybe I could order some, some vegetables for you from Target and have them delivered. Like, what can I do for you? How can I invest in you? Can I speak a word of... Uh, of hope in your direction. And what that does, it gets your emotional sight focused outward. The more outward it becomes, the less inward it is, and you're, you're less focused on that. And what's interesting, and, and although this is good advice for people who are, who are anxious, it's also good advice for people who are more on the angry side, because on the angry side, you're the one who's more likely to try to instruct people. 
right? You're on social media saying, no, you're wrong for wanting to vote for Joe Biden, or no, you're wrong for wanting to vote for Donald Trump, or Black Lives Matter, or no, it doesn't, you know, those sorts of yeah. things. Nobody is going to listen to you if you're not investing in them. It, it does not work that way. If you try to instruct somebody you have not invested in, it creates defensiveness. And so I think, you know, as, as my coach for four years, you invested an incredible amount of energy in me. And so I think I'm in a situation where if you came up to me, you said, hey, Jared, I think you did something that was wrong. Or I think, you know, you, you reacted poorly in that situation. Or I think, you know, you have an area in your life where, where you're not sure living the way that you, you say you want to live. I guarantee you, I am going to churn those words over in my head because you have invested four mm -hmm. years of life when I was in college, instructing me, taking me through hard times, discouraging times, encouraging times. And so I'm going to take a, a real close look at what you just told me. If you're a random person off the street and you say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Well, who are you? Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. I don't right. want to listen. So <laughs> we our influence over people by listening and investing in them, which is totally opposite of what our Well, and that's maybe as I lead you down to the finish here as we close, that's why leadership is so critical these days and a special type of leadership, meaning the one that is servant-based to listen and to guide from a relational, you know, or a relational leadership, not authoritative, not just, you know, positional. Uh, talk to us about that and why leadership is so critical right now. Uh, especially given the circumstances we face. Oh, absolutely. What happens when we get under stress is we tend to abdicate leadership. Like I said, we tend to look towards somebody else outside of us for guidance. We tend to abdicate leadership mm. uh, when we're under stress. And so there is no time better than right now, whether you are the matriarch of your family, whether you are a leader in an organization, or whether you're somebody who's 19 years old, off, going off to college and not sure whether there's going to be in-person classes or not. Um, leadership is vitally important because people are going to be looking to you. People are going to be looking to you. We have things in our brain called mirror cells that basically say, the, the research says, we tend to do what we see other people doing around us. Mm. It means the smallest behavior that you're doing can impact somebody else because they're going to be watching during trying times and they're going to be learning from you. And so I guess what I could say is pray for your enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Times. If you're doing something good for somebody you don't appreciate, it, it's going to change your attitude of superiority towards, right? And so pray for your enemies, love people around you. And so if I could kind of just say, um, listen, right? That is, that is a hallmark of good leadership. Many, many people think that, uh, you know, Patton, you know, General Patton, you know, this is what you're going to do, barking out orders, leading us to victory in World War II is what leadership these days is about. But barking orders is not about leadership, or leadership is not about barking orders. It's about listening. There's almost mm -hmm. nothing that you can do to gain more influence over somebody than to listen to. Sure. I would encourage people to listen to people around you. And, and I think that's one of the good things that this this racial unrest dialogue has been about is like we're not listening to each right now i don't know that we've actually in, improved our listening behavior much during all of this but at least that's part of the dialogue so listen to each other learn from one another and i'm not just talking about like you said learning from cnn or the view or fox news learn from each other love each other and and stay humble um, oh. during these if you're doing those things well uh, then you're going to be leading well and you're not going to be aggressive and you're not going to be consumed by anxiety. During 
Oh, well said, my friend. Listen, um, I so appreciate that. There is pure gold to be mined in that. So I really appreciate you saying those things. Um, and the last thing that I'll, that I'll kind of add to that is that, you know, you make a living by listening to people and to helping them process what they face. Uh, that's, that's what you've done for a living. That's your vocation. But I know it's a ministry for you, Jared. And uh, so I really appreciate that. And that can be really helpful for people uh, who find themselves in, you know, in these, in these times, very stressed out, and they know that they need someone to listen to them. And so how can folks get in touch with you if, if what you've said today kind of resonates with someone, either for them as an individual, or even if they're leading in an organization, and they would love to, to have another set of eyes to just come in and look at what they're dealing with uh, from a counseling or a consulting standpoint, how can folks get in touch with you? Sure. Um, a couple of ways. Uh, number one is I have an email address. Uh, it's jared.debtor. And the way you spell my name is J-A-R-E-D dot D-E-T-T-E-R. It's just like better, but with a D at profectusperformance.com. Uh, so that's profectus is P-R-O-F-E-C-T-U-S performance.com. And so that's my email address, uh, perfectusperformance.com is the website. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Awesome. Um, look me up, Jared Detter on LinkedIn. Uh, shoot me something uh, if, you're, if you're interested in, in continuing a dialogue with it or, or getting help for yourself personally or, or uh, expanding your leadership impact in an organization. And uh, I, I just have to say that uh, what you're doing uh, with this podcast is fantastic. One of the best ways to manage people, uh, your own emotional intelligence to get through times like this is encouraging. People. Yeah. And the whole point of, of what you're doing, these podcasts and, you know, encourages United is could not be better placed in what our culture is going through right now. So thank you for, for making it part of your mission to encourage people. Well, that's, that's nice of you to say, really appreciate your time. Dr. Jared Detter. It's awesome to connect with you. Thanks again for being on the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Encouragers United podcast is only a part of the ministry I'm developing with high-energy, positive-minded encouragers like you. We have several other resources for you. I would love for you to join our Facebook group, Encouragers United, for discussion, idea sharing, and testimonies. I also host a Facebook Live each week. It's called Tuesday Tea with Charlie G., we spend just 15 minutes together over a cup of tea or coffee. I'll share some laughs, thoughts to hopefully inspire you, and perhaps some teaching and resources you can use to make your life better. I also host a web blog with helpful written information, resource links, and an occasional video. Feel free to check that out at charlesrgrimes.com. Please subscribe, like, and share my work with those that you feel could benefit. I want you to grow and mature in your encouragement gifts. Join the community. We're in this thing together.